Well, hello, hello. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of P -p -p Pow, the Pinkie Pod. Nothing like starting your recording adventure by finding out that Audacity has devoured your intro, outro music. And this is like the third time in my podcasting career that I've lost this piece because I had different pieces. When, when did I first get this one? November or something. That's, yeah. This time, I have no idea. It just said that it couldn't open a bunch of the files for it, which I don't understand sound clearly. I'm like, well, these are single tracks, but whatever. 48 pieces missing or something. Would you like to replace them with silence? Well, no. So that was my drama this morning. I think maybe this might be better than last time. Thank God I still have the tracks and now I'm getting a lot better at putting them in here. Now if someone can tell me how to make the outro track immediately jump to the end instead of, you know, sliding it and sliding it, I think I'm just illiterate on which command does that and I'm always afraid I'm going to destroy my entire recording. Yeah, podcasting problems. Am I right? I'm right. So by the time you hear this, I think it'll be like February um, 11th or 12th or something. It's still January. What is it? It's the, it's the 18th. I'm kind of trying to get ahead a little bit here. I've been on a break, as you know. And by the time you hear this, perhaps I will have become a full-fledged candle maker. We shall see. Did I mention last time I was having wick anxiety? Oh my god, the wick is the thing, my friends. The wick is the thing. So I gave you a season opener of a jail and the terrible conditions and, and a couple of ghost stories. But I know what you really like, so I saved it for the second episode. That's right. A good old possession and exorcism. Oh, you love it. You know you do. Ave Maria is still just getting downloaded like you would need, like, to hell. Oh, God, that was terrible. Although that was supposedly not a possession. It was a um, poltergeist, but it had elements of possession. Don't you, do you remember? Did you listen? Well, go listen with the other two, 300 people. You, you need to go find out. Before I jump into this, I'm going to get some business out of the way. But the most important business is that I want you to remember that you are beautiful and you can do the thing and don't let anyone tell you otherwise unless it's a very 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 bad thing then don't do the thing okay but remind yourself that you're awesome give yourself a hug no seriously give yourself a hug and then look in the mirror and remind yourself how awesome you are give yourself a wink gosh darn it yeah no don't do that i'm serious words matter they map our brain, if you will. The more you say things to yourself, the more it's true because you believe it. Change your thoughts, change your life. I just wanted to uh, pass that out to you today. And now I'm going to ask you to please, when you're programming your brain, remind yourself to come to buymeacoffee.com slash pinkypod. <laughs> See what I did? Give me a tip or become a supporter. There isn't a lot of uh, there isn't a lot of paid content yet because come on y'all we need to come and make a community. I would like to make maybe videos. I might even go back out to Northern State and show you some more videos that are not on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, Pinky underscore podcast. Find me on Twitter at podpinky. We can have a chat. I have PinkySwearPress.com, which is my official website for the books and the things and the blogs. And I'm also somewhat of a photographer. I even have photos for sale. Adobe, PicFair, different places. Ask me about it. I have, uh, of course, I'm on Facebook. I don't know. I still haven't deleted it. No. And I feel like there was one other. God, all these social things you're supposed to do, right? Um, oh, yes. I'm still hoping for stories from people. I had a you know handful last time, but 
give me more, give me more, cryptid, crazy, you know, ghosty, whatever, sroit, R-O-I-T, at pinkyswearpress.com. And now that's all out of the way. Well, while I'm thinking of the business and business, I will tell you that uh, some of my wingmen today were ghosts, ghouls, and gods.co.uk. And then an amazing little book, The Awakening. I won't read the, the entire huge long title, I'll mention it later, by Friedrich Zündel. And it was actually written about someone else, which we're about to find out who. Are you ready? Man, think on eternity, and do not mock the time of grace, for judgment is not far off. According to oral tradition, those words, which are now on a plaque that was made later, mysteriously appeared, painted, on a shutter of Gottlieben Dietz's house, which was in the village of Mottlingen during her final battle against demonic forces, which went on from 1841 to 1843. And it actually was originally in German, but I'm not going to try to say it because I will mangle it. This, my friends, is the story of the possession and exorcism of Gottlieben Dietz. More famous than the subject of this podcast, however, apparently is the priest, Johann Christoph Blumhardt, who was born 1805 and died 1880. He's widely known in Germany due to a biography published the year he died. It's still actually in print, and it also describes some of the psychic phenomena we're about to cover. And then some. As I skimmed through it, I noticed um, the person who wrote it, there goes the paper rattling. The person who wrote it seemed to be quite um, enamored. I don't mean like in love, just enamored of this priest. Now, the priest very much believed in the battle between good and evil, and some contemporaries describe his faith as childlike because he was so utterly assured of it. Hmm. For reference, I say hmm because some things I read later. Oh, well, I'm already interjecting myself into this. Now, for reference, Johann was welcomed into the service of Motlingen, which is a small town in southern Germany, on July 31st, 1838. He was 33 years old and apparently quite zealous. Motlingen was a parish of approximately 874 people. It encompassed actually two villages, and Motlingen proper, which had 535 people, and Hogstedt, the so-called parish branch. It's on the edge of Muttlingen that the house with the plaque stands, a ramshackle house, it said, and the area is close to the Black Forest. Ooh, doesn't that just set a scene, the Black Forest? Spring, 1840, a family named Dietz, with its two brothers, three sisters, moved into the ground floor of the house. They were a poor family, and yes, I did not mention parents because they didn't have any parents. So we have Andreas, Johann George, a.k.a. Hans, who was half-blind, Katharina, Anna-Marie, and Gottlieben. She was born October 13, 1815. Apparently their parents had died um, rather young, but not before they had a bunch of children. <laughs> you know, that's what you did in those days. We've had that happen before on this podcast. Someone had like 12 children, was it? I can't imagine. Now Gottlieben had been a favorite of the previous pastor, Pastor Barth. She was actually a composer later in life, by the way, and wrote several songs. So spoiler alert, don't worry, she'll be all right. Yes, I'm spoiling alerting. I don't know, have I done any where they, well, Anna, Elise, yes. I was gonna say, there is one I've done where sadly the person died. Now from childhood, Gottlieben uh, had suffered Illness after illness, apparently. She even had to give up work more than once because of it. No one seemed to know the cause of her maladies, though, of course, some presumed it was due to her involvement in magic, Daisy the Air Bunny's practices, which were common to rural villages. Now, I'm getting a lot of information from that very old text, 
So again, I'm, I'm going to say as a modern person that this magic was just herbs and folk remedies and, you know, we know how this goes, right? The old text states that Gottlieben was both attracted to the new pastor, again, not romantically, yet also repelled by him. And upon attending his first sermon, she fought the urge to scratch his eyes out. <laughs> Boom, we're starting it right off. In modern stories, it's actually said that she had a nervous disorder and she was especially alert in an inner way and receptive to deeper insights. And that's all a quote too. It's believed she may have had epileptic seizures, seizures in fact, but it was so peculiar to the local doctor back then that eventually he wondered if it wasn't supernatural in origin because of course that's what always happens in these we have oh there's something that we can't explain it must be it must be paranormal it must be the devil it must be bad right right and he himself also mentioned the folk magic practices more than once i, I guess she also had a uh, legs that were just uneven enough that gave her trouble walking this matters because distances that are mentioned later that she would have to go and it made things just difficult for her um, because the churches there were two churches and she would have to walk several miles I guess to either one of them so her even going to church was was an ordeal but she would do it she apparently also did not always hide her attitude when it came to Blumhart the new pastor much to the chagrin of those around her and to be fair, Bloomheart didn't think she was so pleasant either, but she still took this walk to church that I was badly trying to say before was kind of a big deal for her to even walk that far. Now, the beginnings of the true problem here and the focus of this podcast, it wasn't long after the Ditas family had moved into their apartments. And I think, let's see, they were on the bottom half of the house. And the other people were, the other family were on the top half. Like it was, it was split into kind of a duplex, if you will. So after they had moved into their apartment, strange things began to happen. They started hearing and seeing strange things on the very first day, in fact, when Andreas was, Andreas was saying grace at the dinner table. Gottlieben passed out on the floor as he said, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. At about the same time, the family heard banging and shuffling in the sitting room, bedroom, and kitchen. It even upset those upstairs neighbors. I guess they heard it. Other things that happened were that Gottlieben would have her hands forced one on top of the other. I was Later, as I kept reading, it sort of sounded like a prayer position. I'm not sure. She saw visions of figures, small lights, and she was acting more and more peculiar. Since many didn't concern themselves much with the poor orphan family, remember I said their parents had died, Gottlieben remained quiet about her experience. Most people didn't even know, or they ignored it. Bloomhart had heard rumors, that's our priest, but he went on about his usual business, and I don't know if that's because he didn't like her anyway or what at first. It's said that she did eventually tell Bloomhart of her past wrongful activities, quotes, but it was vague and he couldn't offer her any advice. It, it was all very vague what she told him, like, you're not going to come out and go, I'm a witch, which I doubt very much that she was. All so vague so far, right? It doesn't sound all that terrifying so far. But she started acting especially strange around the pastor in ways that she didn't behave any other time. So, you know, on the rare occasion that he would visit or talk to her, it was just very strange between them. She wouldn't look him in the eyes. She wouldn't even look at his face. And she didn't keep her hands together when praying. Now, you and I are going, what's so weird about that? She didn't like him, so she didn't look at him. Well, back then, it was seen as something else. Why can't you even look at me? It was seen as something more than just being impolite. So he kept his distance. He thought that she was prideful, self-willed, and didn't want to expose himself to embarrassment. 
Yes, he was very concerned about his reputation, apparently. Right, because that's the most important thing here. <laughs> Thankfully, Gottlieben did have a friend, and that was Dr. Spath, her physician. She told him everything, just spilled her guts. They nonchalantly mention <laughs> in the things that I was reading, one of her strangest ailments uh, around this time was her breasts were bleeding. I don't know if it was out of her nipples. I would assume so and not just seeping through her skin. But this was just mentioned like, oh, and by the way, <laughs> and the doctor could not cure it. And and I'm here going, what? That, that might be kind of serious, yo. <laughs> just guessing. But in, uh, because he couldn't cure it, I'm sure they thought it was another. Well, indeed, I think I had read that, that it was another possibly supernatural thing so <laughs> i guess the pastor didn't even know these details or at least not all of them until april 1842 which was two years into her problems he learned some of it through gottlieben's relatives they had actually finally come for advice for one thing the banging noises had gotten so loud they could be heard across the neighborhood also, Gottlieben was being visited by an apparition by this time, one that she would see at the end of her bed. It was a woman holding a dead child, <laughs> saying, I just want to find rest, and also, give me a paper and I won't come again. Blumhardt said they shouldn't try to communicate with this apparition. He advised them to sleep he advised some of her friends to sleep in the same room with Gottlieben and that it might help her take her mind off of what was going on. Like, it doesn't sound like it was even to protect her. Just get, get her mind, distract her, distract her. But the friend who did volunteer to spend the night with her was so bothered by the banging noises that she decided to help Gottlieben investigate what was going on instead of don't talk to it let's go find out now that's a good friend she didn't run away it's like all right let's go see what this is they were guided by some sort of glimmer of light that was behind a board which was above the entrance to the bedroom got that there was there was a board above the entrance to the bedroom i'm doing that as much for me as like i wrote this two or three weeks ago and now i'm going what <laughs> a board above the bedroom door behind they were guided to it and they found behind it half a sheet of paper now remember the ghost had mentioned a paper it had writing on it which they couldn't decipher it was uh soot smeared just messy you know like soot from a chimney and next to it were three crowns money one dated 1828 and then there was another, uh, there were other bits, little bits of soot covered paper. And then it was quiet. And so the pastor declared that the spook business had come to an end. So they find this paper. Let's recap here. They have an apparition. Give me the paper and I'll leave you alone. Nothing about the dead baby she's holding, but hey, just give me some paper. Yo, they find these papers and these crowns. And then, oh, this house is clean. Okay. You know what's you know what's about to happen, right? Ha! Yeah, right. It's not over. Don't count your chickens and never dare the supernatural. Oh, we're done, you say? Oh, I think not. Because two weeks later, the thumping returned. A flicker of flame above the stove appeared, and they found more similar objects. So it was another guiding light, apparently. They also found... They also found powders, and the local apothecary couldn't decide what they were. So I assume they, they thought it was some sort of medicinal powders, right? You probably crush things up, mortar and pestle, and you put them in a drink or whatever. And I'm guessing that that didn't help her case with the, ooh, you're doing magic. So, But this was a forensic failure. <laughs> they just couldn't figure it out. They did not have the technology. 
So the banging increased day and night, and it was worse when Gottlieben was present. Dr. Spath actually spent two nights in the place in where they lived to observe. And he decided that it was worse than he had imagined. He was like, oh, shit, this is scary. The noises were so loud that crowds began to form. They would show up from even outside the village as word spread. This is something that happened quite a lot back in the day as well. Well, they needed something to do, right? Finally, the pastor decided he had to stop this freak show and put together a team to investigate, which included the mayor, Cross Har, I can't read my own writing, and six village counselors. Now, it was supposed to be, of course, a secret arrangement. An inspection at night, June 9th, 1842. Mose Stanger, who was related to Gottlieben, was sent ahead and others followed at about 10 p.m., posted in twos around the house. As the pastor entered the house, he heard two loud bangs from the bedroom, then several more. Gottlieben was clothed and lying on the bed. All the observers heard these noises. It grew worse as all gathered on the ground floor and the pastor suggested a hymn verse and said a few words of prayer. In three hours, they'd heard 25 blows. This was very specifically recorded in a specific spot. Even chairs jumped, apparently just from this noise and a window rattled and debris came from the ceiling. That's it. It was just the people upstairs doing some Irish clog dancing. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> no, wait. They weren't Irish. Okay. Other noises beneath the banging were heard. Now, I feel like, how would you hear this if the banging was so loud, the way they described it? But there, were, there was a tapping that reminded them of fingers, you know, like drumming, drumming on a table or something. And they heard this beneath the bed. It seems that Gottlieben was awake, though for how long it doesn't say, just that at 1 a.m. she called Blumhart to her and described a sound of someone shuffling towards her. And it was probably the apparition, I'm going to say. She wanted to identify it, and the pastor said no and didn't want more people to see any more of this unexplainable nonsense. So he ended the investigation, my friends. He was like, nope, going to nope right the nope right out of here. And I don't know if it was um, him protecting himself or just trying to stop this circus. The fact that he didn't want other people to see this stuff kind of makes you think he was, oh, enough of this ridiculous shit. Let's just say it. He probably didn't say it, but I will. He's like, enough. So they had a church service the very next day, which was a Friday, apparently, and Gottlieben attended and then visited her old home. And it wasn't long until a crowd again had gathered in front and Blumhart received a message that Gottlieben was unconscious and near death. Yeah, dude, you should not have called off that investigation. He found her on the bed, rigid, burning hot, arms trembling, and she appeared to be suffocating. People crowded into the room, as you do, <laughs> apparently. Like I said, they need something to do. And there was even a doctor who happened to be visiting. Yeah, happened, like a different doctor than Dr. Spath. And he couldn't revive her. 30 minutes later, she snapped out of it. She said she'd seen the woman, though, with the, who had the dead baby and fainted. So that's why she was unconscious, apparently. They decided to search the home again, and they found what they declared were things related to, you guessed it, sorcery. They did find actually tiny bones, but that just could be left over from dinner. My God. <laughs> or rats, or maybe the rats as dinner. Actually, it turns out they were bird 
bones. I did find that out later when I was writing this. And who knows what they were from. I, I don't, it didn't say anything about, oh, well, we ate some birds. I have no idea. I'm sorry. I know you want to know. So do I. You, you can grind bones into, there was a lot of interesting folk remedies. Maybe it did have something to do with that. So someone finally decided that Gottlieben should probably live elsewhere. Well, we know that never works. Now, does it? But it was mostly to stop people from coming and, and gawking and creating, you know, like the uh, circus outside the whole dorps and really dash the hopes of people who wanted to sell pretzels, peanuts. <laughs> oh, I'm just goofy this morning. She stayed with one cousin for a little while and then another. And Blumhart told her not to go into her own house for now. For now. She actually didn't move back for over a year. And he, he even told her own brother not to visit her. And once again, I'm looking at my notes and going, did I skip something? So she described being in dread of clairvoyant manifestations and they were unpleasant and mysterious. She often prayed to the Lord for him to protect her. She prayed for wisdom, strength, and help. She searched the Bible. I'm not sure why her brother couldn't visit her. I don't know if they thought they were feeding off of each other. It was weeks before the commotion in the village kind of died down, but people kept visiting the house, a few people, and some of them actually wanted to spend the night. I see that hasn't changed. You're, you're probably thinking these people are weird and crazy and snooping. And I'm like, listen, they didn't have TikTok and they didn't have, you know, gossip girl or whatever or tv that they had to have something to do okay it's kind of a dreary existence just going out to the field or whatever you do all day work 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 be repressed 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 you know something like this is just the most exciting thing they've ever had in their life besides you also know that people still like to go to creepy houses or houses where something supposedly terrible has happened and they want to spend the night. So it still happens. Yeah. Although maybe not so much allowed to crowd people's houses when they hear about it being haunted and they still live there. Although I don't know. But back to our story. The pastor politely put his foot down every, every time. Every time people wanted to spend the night there. Even when three Catholic priests asked to stay. The village policeman kept an eye on the house, which was really easy for him because he lived right across from it. Now, do you think it ended there? Of course not. Even a poltergeist tends to follow you. As I said before, moving is not, you know, I said moving is not going to do anything. And if she's possessed, it's definitely not going to do anything. Noises began, started again in Gottlieben's new abode. She'd fall into convulsions that lasted four or five hours when they were heard, when she heard that, when they heard these noises, this happened at the same time. And her convulsions could be quite violent. Now that, as I mentioned at the top with the spoiler alert, could have been epilepsy, yes? Dr. Spath was left in tears at how it seemed that no one else cared for his patient's soul. Aww, I wonder if he had a crush on her. That's so sweet. At last, Blumhart started visiting her more and more, and he witnessed the seizures and marveled how at the end of one, she sat up and asked for water as if nothing was amiss. A traveling preacher visited Gottlieben one day and then admonished Blumhart not to forget his duty. Finally, someone's like, yo, Yo, you're a priest. You're supposed to be praying for her soul. Fuck wrong with you. Indeed. But Bloomheart said he was doing all that he could. What else was there to do? Dude, try harder. <laughs> after this, and after seeing another seizure, he finally caught a damn clue. While watching her foam at the mouth with her back arched and twisting, he declared that it was demonic. Well, he's doing something, right? She was unconscious, but this guy tried to hold her hands, and I'm talking about the preacher, 
then hold her down while shouting in her ear, Put your hands together and pray! Lord Jesus, help me! And so on. Because I guess if your hands aren't together, it doesn't count. Right? Right. Okay. Soon, the seizure stopped. And she woke up, and she actually repeated that prayer. I assume he thought that, oh, 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 she heard me. <laughs> I don't know. Lightning struck the pastor, and he finally knew what to do. Don't. Turn deliberately and directly to God. Well, wasn't that your job in the first place? Listen, I know a lot of us probably don't believe in demons and exorcisms, but this is a pastor, and these stories always involve somebody immediately saying, It's demonic! And here is your first case that I've personally done of one who is like, Well, now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I really don't want to be involved in this. Damn it, do I really have to be a pastor? Like, this is the first one I've done where there was all this hesitation. But so finally, so it's funny how now I'm like, dude, yeah, do your exorcist job here. What's wrong with you? At some point, she actually tried to hit him. I don't blame her. Slap the snot out of him. <laughs> and sounds came and went, including those tapping fingers again. She actually received a, a blow to the chest when seeing the apparition another time. At one point, Bloomhart described how it seemed something entered into her and her entire body moved. Get your minds out of the gutter. Or was that just me? Speaking the name Jesus caused her to say, I cannot bear that name. He had a conversation with whatever it was. He finally decided, okay, we need to talk to this. How there was no peace in the grave due to her deeds. That's what this apparition said. There's no peace in my grave due to, no peace in the grave after death here due to my deeds. They had not confessed them all in life. And the confession is as follows. I murdered two children and buried them in a field. And she couldn't pray. She also said she wasn't alone, but with the most wicked of all. She also confessed to sorcery, which bound her to the devil. She'd possessed someone seven times before and then left the bodies. The pastor was permitted to pray for whomever this was and told her she must relinquish Gottlieben's body. After a show of defiance, Gottlieben's hands fell to the bed and she seemed to be herself again. <laughs> yeah, right. Side note, I found out reading something else later that this apparition who was confessing to him and talking about possessing people, Bloomhart actually recognized as a local parishioner from two years prior. I guess from the description and other things said, he knew who this was. Kind of makes you wonder if he didn't do his job then either. I don't guy sounds like not all that zealous to me. I, I when, when they say he was zealous, I expected him to immediately demon be gone. So I'm a bit disappointed here. This is not as dramatic as it could be. <sighs> Gottlieben, of course, seemed to be possessed again just a few days later. Told you not to count your chickens before they hatch. Specific demons now started to come through, though. Hundreds of them. Suddenly we've gone from one, like one to hundreds. And this was reflected on her face and how it would look decidedly different every time there was a new demon. Just, she looked like a different person. And they were threatening, threatening. And they were not allowed, though, to touch Bloomheart. I find that interesting, don't you? But they could attack other people. Oh, yes, indeed. I assume they would want to be say, saying that he was protected by God. Gottlieben yanked her own hair out at a point or two, beat her own chest, and banged her head against the wall. Bloomhart could calm her with some simple words. All of a sudden, now he can talk to her and calm, to her, <laughs> calm her. I don't know. But his presence at the same time made it worse. Dude, maybe you really should just go away and call someone else. So some of the disturbing claims include... A feeling of scorching hands grabbing her throat, 
which left visible blisters and burns. And these were even witnessed by her aunt. So there's outside corroboration of this. There were blows to her head, invisible objects that made her trip, even when she's just walking out in the street or she would fall down the stairs. June 25th, 1842, the pastor was told that Gottlieben had gone mad. But when he visited the next morning, she seemed fine. So he waited a whole damn day. But now she's fine. By afternoon, she'd suffered an attack so bad, she almost died. So I guess she wasn't that fine, sir. More demons were coming out of her with great force. And Bloomheart considered this a victory. Because, yo, they're leaving. That's good, right? And for the next several weeks, Gottlieben was actually herself again. Did he have a point? Well, we shall see. She was unharmed for a few weeks. Bloomheart reveled in his hard-earned victory. And I'm telling you that that's what I was trying to tell you before about this book that I was reading that was written by this other guy. There's a lot of focus on the priest and how wonderful he is. And, and to be expected, what was that other one? There was another one I got to read to you from uh, Begone Satan was another pamphlet that I found um, where they talked about an exorcism. That one was much more detailed if you're looking for the real movie of the week, because I know you are. Not to make fun of this, but um, that one was the proper exorcist style exorcism. And But those guys very much would have a lot of side chapters about God and praying and about themselves. And that one also focused quite a bit on the priests. Well, this one is much worse because most of this that I read is about Bloomheart. And then the second section of the book, it, the book isn't even all about her. It's then just about him and some other stuff that I'm like, yeah, I'm not reading that. And that's uh, back to the story now, enough of my blathering. I'm just letting you know that the source material was kind of, shall we say, interesting and maybe even disappointing because I prefer to make it about the poor victim. So he's he's bragging about his victory, right? Dude, I won, I won, I won. And I'm over here going, dude, you haven't beat shit. Because August 1842, Gottlieben came to him pale and disfigured, came to the pastor Bloomhart. Some accounts say... She had attempted suicide several times. Here, she said she had something to tell him. That each Wednesday and Friday, she'd bleed severely and painfully, and she was certain that she was dying. It seems that the pastor decided, due to descriptions of other things connected to the bleeding, that fantasies of popular superstition had become real in her, you know, to her. And I was like, what? Yeah magic and witchcraft. He considered seeking people with secret powers to ward off demonic evils, um, like sympathetic magic, use evil for evil in his mind. I Obviously we're here going, hey, those are just folk healers, they're not evil. But to him, he's gonna fight off evil with evil is what he was considering which made him go, wait a minute, no, using devils to cast out devils is probably a really bad idea. Dang it, you guys, we almost had him. And how nuts is that? Again, what kind of pastor are you? You can't do this yourself? Actually, I want to pause here and I have to wonder, did he not even know what exorcisms were? He should have kept, kept those Catholic priests around. I'm not sure what denomination he was, but I realized that maybe not all religions have exorcism. exorcism? I just now thought of that this moment, breaking news, do, 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 live on this recording. <laughs> yeah, he should have kept those Catholic priests there. They would have known what to do, right? But instead, he's trying to get other people to do it. This is just such a weird and interesting case to me. He decides that... Maybe they should do some fasting with prayer. Okay. I, I don't know any more about it. It was just mentioned. It might have been just for himself because he seems very self-absorbed. Now, some of the demons by this time were beginning to express their own horror of the abyss. And they wanted to be free. 
And of course, then you have the defiant and hateful ones like, no, no, she's ours. What is that here? One demon repeated the words that I told you at the, the beginning of this story that were painted on the house. And he repeated them over and over. And it said that most of the demons showed up between August 1842 and December 1843. Yes, it went for that long. And they wanted free of Satan's bond, though. They did want free. I guess they didn't even like Satan. Like, dude, that guy's just a little too hardcore for us. Now, they conveyed their desires in Italian, French, German, and languages that Bloomheart didn't know. I've heard that one before. One voice would repeat Bible passages. And in some accounts, they aren't referred to as demons, but as spirits of the dead. Which is kind of what I think, because if they're wanting free, it sounds more like a purgatory, would not, which is not the same as hell, if you believe in those things. Uh, they're in limbo, and they can't move on. That's what that sounds like to me. Blumholt might have viewed the voice which would speak in biblical verses, not as a demon, but maybe as someone trying to help. See, so... The spirit of what was supposedly that dead widow, the one with the child, the pastor thought that she might be the cause of this entire infestation. That's a lot of power, hundreds of spirits. But when she appeared the next time, she said she wanted to belong to Jesus. She, you know, she pleaded with him to pray for her, to be released from the devil's power. She had fallen into his grasp due to idolatry, sorcery, and sympathetic magic. Bloomheart had known her in life, as I mentioned before. She had shown a hunger for the word of God, he remembered. She wanted to remain in his house. He said, no. Can I go to church then? He said, if she promised to disturb no one, then okay. If Jesus agrees. And she seemed satisfied. And I guess Jesus said, yeah, okay, we're cool. You can come on in. And I believe he would do that if he existed. Seemed like a pretty groovy guy. Gottsleben was shocked when she later saw the apparition of the woman at the church several times, but no one else could see her. Over time, the apparition faded away. So it appears that basically to try to make sense of all of this, several, and I'm using some big hard quotes, exorcisms were done. One might say a plethora. Would you say that is a plethora? Ah, uh, I would, would you? If you know that movie, you're my friend. I, I, but here, of course, you're going, but where is the exorcism? I know, I tried, okay? I tried to find, be gone, foul, and it just doesn't exist. I told you, it's a weird case. There was another spirit who also asked to reside in the church. And this spirit was also said, told like, sure, yeah, yo, as long as Jesus says it's cool. But he came back, the spirit came back to say that I, I, I was denied. Wow, if Jesus doesn't even, even like you, you must be pretty horrible. The pastor, though, thought that this was a test. So he told the man that he could reside in his home if he didn't bother anybody. And the voice said, no, no quarter for this man. So he was sent to Bloomheart's garden. I'm not making this up. Someone else might have, but I'm not. <laughs> but it is building to some sort of final battle. Because once again, this is not over. Um, there was finally something different that, that did not appear to be human spirits. And it was no longer only Gottlieben that was having problems. Her brother Hans and sister Katerina were now also possessed. It's fucker setting up franchises, you guys. It's just going all in the family. So from December 24th to the 28th, 1843, we have some sort of climax to this story. And let's find out together if it's even a proper climax. We are going to now go to the actual text 
of this uh the awakening one man's blah 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 it's got some it's got some long title where shall we start here several times during bloomheart's struggle there was a surcease but following such periods the forces of darkness assailed gothleven with renewed vigor as if determined to kill her on one occasion after she had wounded herself dreadfully and the wounds had healed they suddenly burst open again a friend hurried to bloomheart with the message that every minute's delay would be perilous and bloomheart recalled at that i fell on my knees in my room and in my distress spoke bold words this time my faith had become so strong i decided i was not even going to do the devil the honor of going to gottlieben's house rather i sent a message back with gottlieben's friend asking her to get up and come to me adding that with faith she would have strength to do it before long there she was coming up the stairs no one can possibly know how that made me feel side note see isn't that just an egotistical son of a bitch no no i'm not going there i'm going to make you come to me or maybe he was just a coward don't you think this guy is just kind of it's it's weird right is it just me am i just this loopy this morning the pastor is like no 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 wait i'm not going there <laughs> he needs one of my t-shirts you know a one-way ticket to noteville it, what is up with this guy all right around christmas 1843 from december 24 to 28 as i was saying in my own notes here is our supposedly climactic and decisive conclusion in bloomhart's own words it seemed as if all the evil powers that had appeared before were joining forces for a combined assault you know he's german i don't know why i'm doing that probably because i would anyway most disconcerting was that now these sinister workings affected gottlieben's brother hans and her sister katarina so that i had to fight mo a most desperate battle for all three of them at once i can no longer tell the exact order of events right dude so many things happened that i cannot possibly recall them all mm-hmm convenient but those were days i never want to experience again because you're a coward it had come to the point where i simply had to risk everything it was a question of victory or death cake or death great as my own efforts were i sensed a tangible divine protection i did not feel the least bit tired or worn out even after forty hours of watching fasting and praying wait that's when you did that you just stared at her didn't eat and prayed okay gottlieben's brother was the first to regain freedom from his apparent possession so much so that he could aid me in what followed see he's got to get help from everybody even the sick people this time the brunt of the attack was not directed at gottlieben who seemed to be completely at peace but at her sister katharina who up till then had not been affected at all yes i'm going to give him a shitty accent because he's shitty katharina now began to rage so furiously that it took great efforts to control her she threatened to break me into a thousand pieces i'm kind of rooting for her how about you and i did not risk going near her <laughs> she also made continuous attempts to injure herself and slyly looked around for opportunities to injure those holding her as well at the same time she kept babbling and ranting so horribly that thousands of spiteful tongues seemed to be speaking all at once okay now we're getting somewhere remarkably katarina remained fully conscious and one could reason with her when admonished she would say she could not control her speech and behavior and asked us to keep a firm hold on her to prevent her from doing something terrible i need to stop that afterward she remembered everything distinctly which depressed her so severely that i had to spend days counseling and encouraging her after much prayer these memories faded away gradually the demon inside katarina did not make himself out to be a departed human spirit but an eminent angel of satan satan i guess it was yesterday satan he claimed yes bad joke that if you were forced to descend into the abyss it would deal satan a fatal blow but would also cause katarina to bleed to, bleed to death all of a sudden midnight a series of desperate howls issued from katarina's throat lasting for about a quarter of an hour the cries were gruesomely forceful and so loud that half the inhabitants of the village 
heard them. I'm going to guess a crowd gathered. At the same time, Katerina sh started shaking so violently that it seemed her limbs would come loose. So the demonic voice expresses fear and despair, mingled with tremendous arrogance and defiance. It demanded that God perform some signs to allow it to go to hell <laughs> with some honor instead of forcing it to abdicate like some ordinary sinner. Then at two o'clock in the morning, while Katerina arched her upper body backward over the chair, the purported angel of Satan, in a voice no human throat could make, bellowed out the words, Jesus is the victor! Jesus is the victor! And so, like everyone in the village uh, who heard the words, understood the significance, and they left an impression on many, an indelible one. The strength and power of the demon now appeared to wane with every passing minute. It got quieter and quieter and moved less and less, and finally left Katerina altogether unnoticed, just as the light of life goes out in a dying person, around eight o'clock in the morning. And so at that point, the two-year-long fight had come to an end. Of course, there remained things to work through afterward. I'm paraphrasing him. But that was like clearing away the rubble of a collapsed building. That was a direct quote. So Hans was still subject to a few more attacks, but they were scarcely noticed by others, so I guess it was okay. Katerina had an occasional convulsion, but soon she too was, you know, just peach keen okay, and further incidents were just insignificant and no one noticed. I mean, what is with this guy? These are his words. As for Gottlieben, she suffered several renewed attempts on the part of the dark power during the following months, but the attacks were doomed to failure and did not claim much of my attention. Boo! Boo! This guy sucks. <laughs> Eventually, she attained complete health. All her former ailments, well known to physicians, completely disappeared, including her high shoulders, short legs, stomach troubles, and others. He's saying that she no longer had uneven legs, so she didn't walk with a limp anymore. Like, everything just miraculously was cured. I'm having a hard time buying that. How about you? Over considerable time, he says, her health remained stable in every aspect, which is a miracle of God. And he also just has to go and mention that her disp disposition was also improved in a most gratifying way. As follows, her humility, her sincere and sensible way of speaking, coupled with decisiveness and modesty, have helped many others. He does say he knows no other woman who can handle children with such insight, love, and patience. He even entrusts his own children to her. She's taught handicrafts and now am starting a nursery school and have not been able to find anyone as suitable as she to direct it. And I'm sitting here, if you were looking at me, I'd be sliding my glasses down, looking over, looking over him like, uh-huh. Basically, this sounds like a guy who had a fantasy of breaking a woman who didn't really like him and turning her into something docile. Is this an allegory, y'all? Am I the only one bothered by this? I had not read that part. I told you we were discovering this together. He described her before as, basically, I think you had a, a strong woman who, who could speak her own mind and was not afraid to do so, and dude didn't like it, as was common, <laughs> and sometimes sadly still is. No, I'm sure that people actually did think she was possessed, but I find this pastor's relaying of this story really suspicious. So if you stayed with me this long, hopefully this all made it worth it. I feel like I was kind of floundering in the first part of this. I mean, this is really pretty much it. No fireworks, no, the power of Christ compels you because he's not Catholic, I suppose. I will say that in 1850, Blumhart commented on Gottlieben's subsequent life and work. I told you she became a composer on all kinds of cool things. And here's a quote from him. Since she became part of my household, Gottlieben has been my wife's most loyal and sensible support in managing the household and raising the children. Others can testify to her faithfulness in this role and her effect on those who pass through the house. Everyone who knows her speaks of her with respect and appreciation. She has become nearly indispensable to me, <sighs> particularly in the treatment of mentally ill people who usually develop such a trust in her that they require little of my time. 
She's not employed by us as a domestic servant. Well, gee, thanks, dude. For her gratitude will not allow her to accept payment for her work. I wonder if that's true. Rather, she considers herself one of the family, as do her sister Katerina and her brother Hans. Hans actually became a handyman at Blumhart's rectory. Split wood was good with the mentally ill, of course, and um, Blumhart fondly called him his majordomo. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> then they go on to talk about, oh, poor Blumhart. He found himself increasingly isolated. Friends abandoned him, and even his confidant Bath no longer seemed to understand him. <laughs> Shall I go on? Because we don't like this guy. Yes, there is a, a letter written to Barth on January 2nd, 1844. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Let's not. Uh, let me let me skim it. You wanted to dictate to me, but had I followed you, I surely would have been undone. You ought to know that he who turns his back on the opponent is lost. You yourself said the enemy's aim was to ruin me. That is true, but for the sake of Christ, I ask you to tell me openly, isn't there no power in the world other than that of the devil? I'm not going to read this whole thing. I think this is Ashley Bloomhart writing back to him like, how could you be so mean to me? <laughs> I just, I, you should look this up. I found the, uh, now I have seen on the net, if you Google this, that other places want you to buy this. They're charging for it. But this thing is over. It's like 1800 and whatever. It was written after. It was republished by Plow Publishing House, which I think actually has a real... Um, I found that website somewhere. It might have a religious um, affiliation, like preserving things like this. So there was a reprint January 2nd, 2014, but I think this, this thing goes way, way, way farther back than that. So I feel like, as written by Friedrich Zunde, that it should be copyright free. And definitely this is at hanswaldvogel.com, H-A-N-S-W-A-L-D-V-O-G-E-L.com. If you just Google the the zundel they have it spelled differently and the author was uh, swiss so hans r waldvogel this is someone the recordings yeah and this is a, a very religious archive of sermons and talks so i would uh definitely assume that it is still copyright free because they've got it up here in the complete text for you to just scroll straight through on their website, 100% free. And I think it's been up there for a while and no one has gotten in trouble. So you don't need to pay for this, I think. Oh, pa yes, Pastor Hans Waldvogel. I'm Googling now and that just, uh, I just saw that. And he lived from 1893 to 1969. So there you go. And it's on a page about him, I think. So I read you some of it because I don't think that I will get in trouble for that. I'm just letting you know in a scatterbrain sort of way that if you want to read this, I'll put the link in the show notes that you're not going to get in trouble because I don't know what the precise law is. I'm trying to think like they, they printed it in 2014 and yes, they have a right to charge for it because they probably used new art. Maybe they edited it. I don't know that version because I'm not going to buy it. Sorry, not going to. It's it's 200 and some years old. I'm not going to buy it. This story is from the 1800s. The full title is The Awakening, One Man's Battle with Darkness by Friedrich Zundel or Zandel, depending on who you ask, how they're spelling it. There's also Zundel with the, uh, the U with the umlauts over it. That's the two dots. He was a Swiss pastor, author, and essayist. And this was first published in 1880, so copyright is totally out on that. You can uh, feel fine about going to the link that I will put in the show notes. Oh my God, okay, I'm done, and I'm probably going to listen back to this and go, where the hell was my brain this morning? I don't know. This case is weird. What do you think of this um, Bloomheart guy? He's a total dick, right? <laughs> This is a weird story that does not end in the way a lot of 
exorcisms kind of end. And if you know more about it, feel free to find me on Twitter at PodPinky. Hit me up at buymeacoffee.com slash PinkyPod. Chew me out and tell me that this episode sucked. No, really don't do that. It's not nice. I will be listening back to this and editing it. And, um, you know, I probably won't re-record it, though. I'm going to be honest. You just get it as is. That's why you like this podcast, right? Just follow my madness. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. And I'm trying to decide to do... There's the obligatory siren. Made it through most of it. I think there was also some ding-dings from my phone sitting here, and I forgot that the sound was on from probably a text tone. I guess that's it. I'm just like, nothing clever to say. Thanks for listening. Until next time.